you know, I am. I'm really blessed to have a, a, a brother-in-law and a friend and pastor in the faith and, and someone who's willing to leave his church this morning to, uh, to come and share a message with you guys. And um, we love Pastor Mike, and we're blessed. So let's just welcome him again. Amen. I want to say it's a, it's a privilege for me to be back here in this church. My wife said that make sure you don't tell any stories when you go back because it'll take, it takes so long time. So uh, first time I preached in this church was May of 1986. I pastored the Assembly of God Church called Summit Christian Fellowship in town for three years. Then I came over here for 20 years and Jeff and I worked together for 20 years. And seven years ago, I planted the Foursquare Church in town. And this is my first time back since then. This literally is my family's church. My wife is related some way to probably half of you. <laughs> and uh, Sarah Hastings, my niece, happy 30th birthday. She's in the nursery. Oh, she's right here. Beautiful Sarah. So I'm not going to do uh, much by way of introduction or anything else. I'm just going to go to the Word this morning. I pray that you brought your Bibles with you. You got your phone? For a lot of people, that's your Bible, right? We're going to be out of the New International Version, 1984. How many of you have a tablet with you? How many have a real Bible with you? Oh, that's unusual in this day and age. They say, well, you know, um, I come from a generation where the Bible was really important. And I'm finding out that in our generation, among Christians, the Bible's not so important. Find that the Bible information that we're getting is from Nova. Discovery, History Channel, National Geographic, whatever we pick up on the, on the television, we believe that because we don't read our Bibles to know any different. And then we make up stuff that we don't know because we want to be intelligent in the knowing. <laughs> How many of you have seen that movie Noah's Ark with Russell Crowe? You know, there are some things biblical about that. There is water. <laughs> there is an ark. And his name is Noah. 60% of people uh, that have been surveyed about Bible knowledge think that Joan of Arc is Noah's wife. message I have for you is called Living in a Depraved Generation. Let's pray. Father God, I pray for this beautiful, wonderful church. When people say that it's the best church in the valley, I can't disagree with that. So I bless them and ask that you would bless them with the word today. Lord, I pray that it would make it powerful. And Lord, get me out of the way so you can be in the way for us today. 
Lord, teach us how to live in a depraved generation. In Jesus' name, amen. We're actually living in the days of judges. Why our thinking must be different from the times that we live in. We can't be sucked into how people think in our country and our generation because our country is following the ways of Europe and we're about not too far behind because what's happening in Europe is that it's being displaced and misplaced by Islam and other things because when you have a vacuum or a void, something has to fill its place. So that's where we're going as a society. So you as a church and we as a church and in our community, we have to think differently than the times that we live in. I want to define for you the word reprobate or depraved. It simply means defined as failing the test, not to be being able to distinguish right from wrong and continuing to do so in disobedience. A number of years ago, I was a notary republic. Last time I took my test that all the answers seemed right. And it was a multiple choice, and it was A, B, C, D. And every answer seemed right. I thought, this is not a fair test. Where everything that you could check would, in my mind, would be right. So you actually had to know the right answer to pass the test. Because it was structured this way, I barely passed it. I could have easily failed the test because everything looked right. We live in a great society so that things look right, things may look good, things might be even presented well, but the times we live in, we won't know it until we actually know it. So we're going to take a look at Judges chapter 17 through 21. Not verse by verse, but story by story. And this is a central passage I'm going to be in this morning. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, seventh book of the Bible. Now it's an interesting part of scripture because Judges chapter 17 through 21 is actually written as a separate book within the book. It's a section of Judges possibly written by a different author altogether. And in this section, there's naming no judges. And the author's almost telling the stories apologetically as if to say, this is the moral depravity of the people. I'm sorry. The time of the two stories contained in Judges chapter 17 through 21 is after the death of Joshua and before the judges of Israel. The opening phrase in the book of Joshua was after the death of Moses. The opening phrase in Judges is after the death of Joshua. Well, right after that phrase is when we have the timeline of these five chapters. You have the book of Ruth, that's a beautiful story written during the time of Judges. This could easily be 
disconnected from the book of Judges as its own self-contained book. How do we know this? Well, a couple things. Jonathan, the grandson of Moses, and Phineas, the grandson of Aaron, are prominent in the two stories that are in these chapters, chapter 17 through 21, showing that these must, events must have happened, as Josephus tells us, after the death of Joshua and before most of the judges appeared in the book of Judges. So you have a framework in mind. Take these five chapters and put them at the front of the book. So after the death of Joshua, spiritually and morally, the nation went into one of its lowest points of depravity after becoming, coming into one of the highest points of spiritual awakening. You have Moses and you have Joshua, and you have them conquering the land for 13 years, and then you get the next event, chapter 17 through 21. But Joshua warned about these events in his final farewell speech. So while you have your hands in Joshua, in Judges chapter 17 through 21, turn with me to Joshua chapter 24. Verse 14 through 24. Because I have a lot to share with you, I'm just going to tell the story. Joshua's in his 90s. And he says a farewell to the people, and he says, I'm going to go by the way of all the earth. And um, he says, now serve the Lord with faithfulness, and serve the Lord with all your heart. He said, turn away from your idols. Now let me tell you the history of Israel with their idols up to this point. The patriarchs had idols. Laban, Rachel took Laban's idols. For the 430 years that they were slaves in Egypt, they had idols the whole time. Can you imagine? While they're trying to say that they love the Lord and serve the Lord, during the whole time they have idols. And then 40 years in the wilderness, they took their idols with them. And then for 13 years of warfare in the promised land, they took their idols with them. From the time that Joshua said this, Israel had never been without idols. You see, I thought they loved the Lord God and worshipped him only. No. They worshiped him along with their other idols. But see, that doesn't apply to an American congregation because we're too smart for idols. I mean, you don't have little silver deities or Asherah poles in your yard and you don't have little bales. But what you, what you do have is something that displaces God. Okay, well, I already preached this to my congregation, so don't feel too bad. <laughs> so Joshua says, put away your gods that are among you. And I love this verse. But as for me and my house, verse 15, 
we will serve the Lord. Now I can tell you that there were no idols in Joshua's house. No idols in his mentor's house, Moses' house. No idols. And they said, we will serve the Lord. You know, lip service is really superficial. We will serve the Lord with all our heart. And Joshua says, no, you won't. You will not serve the Lord. Yes, we will serve the Lord. No, you're not going to serve the Lord. It's not within you. It's never been within you. Yes, we will serve the Lord. Okay, your witnesses against yourself that today you've chosen the Lord first and nothing else. So he says in verse 23, throw away your foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. Anything that displaces God in our life is an idol. And some of our houses are so full of idols, there is no room for God in our day. I'm busy. The American phrase, I'm too busy. Well, how about this one? I got to work. No doubt you do have to work. But sometimes we use work as a displacement for God himself. God, you know I'd want to be in the house of the Lord or Bible study, but you know how busy I am. God, you really know, I understand, but, you know, if I invited you to my house, you'd see all the stuff I displaced you with. All my toys are all my reasons for not being what you called me to be. So soon after Joshua had given this farewell address and they pledged themselves, we're going to serve the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and emotion. We're going to love God. We, we said it, we're going to love God. We're going to serve him. Right after this comes chapter 17 through 21 of Judges. It's an appendix detached from the chronological order of the book. Without the word of God, and 60% of Christians never touched the Bible during the week except for in church. But apart from the Word of God, there'll come a place where there is no moral restraint. And our prime example of these chapters, chapter 17 through 21. Now there's two stories in this, in this section. I'm gonna give you just the highlights of these stories. The first story, is Micah and the household uh, idols. Micah steals some silver from his mom. And she says, well, Lord bless you. And I'll take some of that silver and make an idol to the Lord. He says, great, so we'll make a shrine to that idol and I'll hire a guy to be a priest for that idol in my shrine. And I think Joshua's thinking in the grave, probably roll over the grave saying, these probably were the people that stood before me and said, we will love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul. And the Danites, Danites and showing the spiritual depravity of the day. Now the second story is a little more gruesome. It's a hard read. 
you have a Levite who has a concubine. Now, a concubine is a female sex slave to the owner, and she has no rights as a wife. She's property. And so she runs away to her father's house. He goes down to Judah and gets Benjamin area and gets her and stays with the father-in-law. And they say, oh, well, we're having so much fun here. Why don't you stay another night? Well, they did this two or three times. And so the Levite got up and said with his concubine and went to a hostile town where they were so hostile, a little um, elderly man came up and said, it's too dangerous to be, for you to be in, this, in the town square, you come to my house. So they came to his house. And they began to beat on the door, give us this man that you have hidden in your house so we might have sexual relationships with him. We're gonna get into the scriptures in a little bit. How many believe that that's depraved thinking? How many believing that this nation is not thinking that's depraved na thinking anymore? I have two babies. You know, I, I'm 63 years old with two babies in the house. Foster babies, we've had them for a year. And uh, Matthew just turned one and Sammy on the 24th which is Matthew's birthday, he'll be turning two. We were at the Mom and Dad's project a couple weeks ago and I had to fill out this form. This is no joke. Male, female, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, a new one called queer, and a brand new, uh, and a brand new category, undecided. <laughs> undecided. <laughs> undecided. We live in a depraved, reprobate society that can't even look down and decide who they are. Right? More about the story in a little bit. So and it, there's, the author does four phrases throughout these five chapters. And in chapter 17, verse 6, he, he apologizes by saying, In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. Well, the, this portion of scripture is written after there are kings in Israel not during the times of judges because the author's identifying himself with the authority of the kings. So it's written much later of a time much earlier than we see in Judges. If we're taking it chronologically, chapter 16 has the story of Samson that goes along with 1 Samuel chapter 1, you find Eli and then Samuel. So Samson, Eli and Samuel's the last of the judges. But the author says, in those days, Israel had no king. 
and everyone did as he saw fit. Chapter 18, verse 1, in the same phrase, in those days Israel had no king. Followed by chapter 19, verse 1, in those days Israel had no king. And then closing the entire book, the mini book, by the phrase, in those days Israel had no king and everyone did as he saw fit. You need to thank God that you can't do everything you want to do. When you want to do it, how you want to do it. You are free in Christ to do anything you want but sin. Think of that. It's a lot of liberty, but it's a lot of responsibility as well. So I'm going to highlight a couple things in Judges chapter 17 through 21. Actually, just one thing. The story of Micah and his silver and stealing and making idols and all that is in chapter 17 and 18. The story of the Levite and the and the, the host is in chapter uh, ni- 19 through 21. Look at verse 23 of chapter 19, 24. And look at the depraved thinking in this. The owner of the house went outside and he said to them, No, my friends, don't be so vile, meaning to have relationships with this man. Since this man is my guest, don't do this disgraceful thing. We agree with that. Yeah, don't do that, right? Right. But I got a suggestion. Look here is my virgin daughter and, my co- and his concubine. I'll bring them out to you, and you could use them and do them, to them whatever you wish. Have you lost your mind? Have you bumped your head really hard? Reminds me of Lot, who said the same thing about his daughters going to the crowd instead of the angels. You know those angels took care of themselves. But to this man, don't do such a disgraceful thing, I think. Every time I read this, and I read it every year, I think I can't wait to get past the depravity of thinking and get into the book of Ruth. Seeing redemption and grace and such a beautiful story. Romans 1.21 says this, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but rather, but their thinking became futile. Now that Greek word futile means hot air. They became a vapor. You see signs like that all the time, vape shop. You know, futile shop, air shop. Well, that's what the Greek words mean. They come into the thing, they become a bunch of hot air. And their foolish hearts were darkened. You see in verse 28, where it says, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. Listen, church, we have to think it worthwhile to attain the knowledge of God. If you can't read well, There's a translation for you. God's Word translation is written at a fourth grade level. If you can't read that well, there are audio Bibles for you 
to, to, to hear and read along. If you can't hear and read along, I'm sure there's something else that, that could work for you in these days and age. So make it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. Discovery Channel, History Channel, NOVA, National Geographic cannot help you with that. So I gave them over to the depraved mind. So they can't tell the difference, they can't pass the test to do what ought not to be done. Now Jeremiah had the same problem in his day. I must say, you know, I, I don't have a lot of humor in my sermons and studies because I'm just not a funny guy. You know, so this church has known that for years. I'm not a funny guy at all. But having said that, you can smile. I still love a smile. But Jeremiah had the same problem with depravity with Israel in his day. As a young prophet, in chapter 5, verse 4, through 4 through 5, he's probably 18, 20 years old. And he's getting to know the ropes about how it works with preaching and prophesying into the nation. And he's been prophesying for a little bit, and he says, I thought, talking about how the people didn't respond, he says, well, I thought they were poor and foolish, for they do not know the way of the Lord or the requirements of, the, of their God. So I thought that, you know, that they're not really getting it. Then he says, so I will go to the leaders, shepherds, the teachers, the pastors, the rabbis, and speak to them. Surely they will know the way of the Lord and the requirements of their God. But with one accord, they too had broken off the yoke and torn off the bonds. What does that mean? With one accord, they said, forget the word of God, forget the law, forget telling us how to live. We're going we're gonna to do whatever we want. So what are we do, to do in depraved times? We're far from a Christian nation. We're part of a Christian community that a lot of Christians are deceived by thinking that they can be Christians without the local church. It is not true. It's never been designed by Jesus or the apostles for us to be apart from one another. So what are we to do in the depraved times we live in? Here are 10 steps I'm gonna give you. So the first thing we need to do, number one, is to listen to the words of Joshua. Put away the idols of self and commit, and commit to serving the Lord. God's knocking at your door. He said, I want time with you. I want to spend time with you in the Word. I want to spend time with you personally. I want to spend time with you. Your house is too full of priorities and things that displace him. Or you get too tired from working so you don't feel like opening the word. Well, I get all that. You know, it's, uh, you're busy. You got a lot of things to do. But God's knocking on the door of our heart and we have it full of stuff. 
so much that we cannot say, Lord, I want to fully commit my heart to you and my life and give you everything. We need to change that, first of all. Secondly, the Apostle Paul tells us how to live in depraved times. Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 15. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but also in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. One of the saddest things and features that I've seen in my Christian experience as a pastor is when somebody's been in the faith for 20 years and they say, you know what, I, I'm a baby Christian. Well, why? You know, we change babies' diapers. That's hard enough. But we don't want to change adults' depends. <laughs> right? I mean, that might be a hard thing, but I think that might be beyond me. And to have a baby Christian that's been serving the Lord for, or knowing the Lord for 20 to 25 years, to me it's the saddest thing I can hear from a person as a pastor. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You've been saved for growth and for a reason. For it is God who is at work in you to will and to act according to his purposes. God wants you, his life to be lived out from the inside out through you, walking daily with him. So do everything without complaining and grum or arguing so that you may become pure and blameless children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. You know, the Roman society was pretty depraved. I won't go into how depraved and what kind of depravity, but one of their favorite things is that if a gladiator was killed, they quickly would try to drink the blood so that, of the gladiators so they could be strong like them. It's like, are you crazy? What brought you to such thinking like this? It was in the society. But we shine in which we shine like stars in the universe. As the darkness gets darker, you must get lighter. It's like when you go to Los Angeles in the nighttime, it's a, you see three stars. Make that two and one satellite. <laughs> we come to Big Bear, what makes the stars so bright? The darkness. We live in the dark times. We have to turn up the light and be different and be stars shining bright in the generation that we're in. As you hold out the word of life in order that you may boast in the day of the Lord that I did not labor for nothing or run for nothing. Number three, change your thinking. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know your mind's not a bad thing. Your mind's a good thing. You just have to retrain it according to the word of God. Retrain it. If your thinking is, is contrary to the word, you've got to find out why it's contrary and make a change. Thinking differently. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, be transformed by the, be transformed completely, spirit, soul, and body, by this process of renewing your mind. How many need a new mind? That's a good idea? I think so. You can tell that your mind needs renewing when something wrong comes to you and you know that's not scripture, but you start thinking, well, I can understand that and see how that can go. I can really, maybe, uh, I can understand how that type of thinking is, is, and you go to the gray rather than go to the light. Number four, we have the mind of Christ. First Corinthians chapter two, verse 16. You have the mind of Christ. Now let's clarify what the mind of Christ is. It's not his intellect. It's not his IQ. It's not his, it's not his personality type. But it's his attitude, his heart, the way he perceives things and people. When you go home, if you kick the dog and the dog's injured, you can, tell, you can tell right away that that's not the mind of Christ. Jesus is not going to go home and kick his dog, right? So we have the mind of Christ that judges and things, but somebody says, somebody needs our compassion and our love, and we do that, and we're moving into the, uh, to the area of the mind of Christ. We know that because it's built within us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 have this attitude, the Greek word means thinking, that was in Christ Jesus. You know, the, the book uh, In His Steps, written in the 1890s, about what would Jesus do, still applies to us. We're still living in, in times where you have to ask yourself, what would Jesus actually do in this situation? He will tell you. He'll show you in His Word. The closer you draw to Him... The closer you can understand how he thinks and how he responds, and we can just do it. Number five, prepare your minds for action. First Peter chapter one, verse thirteen. There's spiritual warfare going on against your mind. There's a battle going on for your mind every day. It's such a sad thing. I see people with mental illness like I've never seen before in my life. Some type of mental disorder, mental illness going on. And you think, well, what can we do about that that's going to be a safeguard against us going that way? Simply prepare your minds for action. If you believe that God's real, you have to understand that, he, that Satan's real as well. We have the angels of God, we have demons, we have a spiritual warfare going on. There's a battle going on in your mind. Number six, don't gratify the sinful nature. Romans 13, verse 14. Don't do whatever feels good to do. It might not be the best for you. You might have a, a lot of good things in your life that you said yes to, preventing you from saying yes to the best things of your life. Don't gratify the sinful nature. I think it's time that we start emptying our houses full of these things that displace God and make some room for him. Amen? Amen. 
Number seven, abandoned futile thinking. And I want us to turn to this one. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 19. So I tell you this, and I insist upon this in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility, there's that word again, hot air of your mind, of their thinking. They were darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of hearts. Having lost all sensitivity to God and his voice and his word, and I might say his preachers, and have given themselves over to sensuality, whatever feels good to the senses, pleasure, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Abandon futile thinking. Number eight, stick close to the word of God. One thing about reading the word, it's not going to become easy and natural to you. It's like you have to have a plan. You have to understand a systematic plan of how to read the word. And Pastor Rob can help you with all that stuff, but to commend yourself to the word so your mind and heart can start to being shaped. Psalm 119.105, your word, O Lord, is a light unto my path and a light unto my feet. Right? Number nine, let the conviction of the Holy Spirit come to change your futile, depraved thinking. There's two ways that God has before us. We can either run to him or run away from him. And then number 10, repent and let Christ do a work in your mind and your thoughts. What's repentance? Sometimes people feel like it's falling at the altar and crying and saying they're sorry and getting up and nothing really changes. Or maybe it does change. That's great. But repentance is that I'm going this way and there's a sign that says, this is really bad. I don't want you to do this any for, further. Turn around. We see the sign. We make a turn and go the other way. Especially when we talk, how we talk and how we think. Out of the issues, the heart, the mouth speaks. I can go into different countries and things uh, and speak about the Lord and, and small groups. And that will be the topic. Not so much in America. Not so much among Christians in America. It's about the food, the weather, and the, how the car is working, what we're doing these days. And, and the focus of the Lord is really not a focus of our pleasurable life as Christians. And it needs to be. I love the Lord. I want to say this uh, about your pastor. He's my brother-in-law. But I believe that you have probably the most talented pastor that's ever pastored this church. I'll tell you why. He preaches, he teaches. He can preach in Spanish and English. He has mission experience. He's been a youth pastor, an associate pastor, senior pastor. He brings more experience than a lot of us brought to the table. He's bringing a good future and a history to this church. 
And I'm proud to be in this church today. Thank you so much.